Welcome to the Asia Society Hong Kong Movers and Shakers podcast. Through the short interactive fireside chat, we get to meet with the leaders and game changers in different industries for insights into their personal journey to success, what they learned, how they failed, and other interesting wisdom they may want to share. Today's podcast is with Michaela Browning, Australia's Consul General to Hong Kong and Macau. Ms. Browning is an experienced diplomat with extensive international policy, program management, and operational experience. She has worked for the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade for 23 years, including postings in Singapore and Thailand. Before her appointment in Hong Kong, Ms. Browning was General Manager and Head of Investment at Austrade, the Australian government's trade and investment promotion agency. During 2010 and 2011, Ms. Browning was Asia Intelligence and Counterterrorism Senior Advisor to the Minister for Foreign Affairs and the Senior Advisor on International Policy and Intelligence to the Minister for Defense. Michaela invited us to the Australian Consulate General of Hong Kong to conduct the following interview. You know, you're very busy as the Consulate General uh, here uh, representing Australia and Hong Kong uh, with the best interests of the Australian people here living here. And uh, with your busy schedule, we like to wonder if you have a morning routine. Uh, what does the first hour of your day look like? Well, I try to have a morning routine, but it usually gets changed at the last minute. But the, but the, the thing that never changes is that the morning starts with either my husband or I taking turns to make each other coffee in the morning and me looking at all my emails reading through all the international and local news and a series uh, of people that I follow and seeing what's happened uh, overnight uh, around the world and locally that's pertinent to my job and then key issues and other things that I worry about, including back in Australia, just so that I know everything that I need to know before I start my day. And then if I have time, I like to go for a morning walk uh, and clear my head and, and think about how to prioritize my day, but often that uh, is the first sacrifice in a busy day, uh, and I try to find some time to do something like that to, at some point during the day, just to try and digest all the things that you're having to think about, particularly at a time like this in Hong Kong and uh, global uh, relationships and developments, really to try and think through what are the priorities and what are the things I should be thinking? And do I do I know what my assessment is on various issues? And that is something you learn from talking to people, but you need some time to yourself to think about that. Okay. And is that just a thinking exercise or do you have like a journal or how do you crystallize those thoughts best? I crystallize thoughts by walking. And okay. if you think uh, mm-hmm. hi- historically and around the world, people, I mean, Japan, in right. Kyoto, they've got the philosopher's walk. Uh, the ancient Greeks talked about walking, the importance of walking, but just when you've got a lot of pressures and a lot of different things going on in your head, one of the best things that I find um, is just to, to walk and think yourself. In terms of, uh, you, you said you get your news daily, um, how do you, um, are there certain sources that you get it from? or Because there's a lot of ch- uh, sort of chatter out there, how do you filter that? So many different sources. Uh, so uh, for, my current Hong Kong job, I subscribe to some key commentators and uh, blogs, uh, but I, I read the Financial Times, I read the South China Morning Post, I read all the translations of the Chinese uh, okay. local and mainland dailies, um, I read at least 
uh, impressions coming out of Europe, impressions coming out of Australia, impressions coming out of the US, and I try and triangulate all of that information, as well as reading all of the digest that my agency and other Australian government agencies provide. Oh. It's quite a lot, and then I like to read a hard copy paper still, so the two papers I read in the car on the way to work are the South China Morning Post and the Financial Times. Those are good publications. Um, if we could actually go back to sort of the, the beginning of your life, um, a lot of uh, a lot of people have influences uh, in their life, whether it's uh, parents or mm-hmm. teachers or somebody influential. What, what's some good advice that somebody gave to you when you were younger that you can remember and you'd like to pass on? Ah, so many uh, influences, but I know people say that their parents are their influences, but I think I had pretty rare parents. My father was a war correspondent and a writer and a very independent thinker and he looms large in my life. Uh, my mother's quite a courageous figure. They were both completely self-educated. Hmm. So really they are significant figures. So it's not somebody just saying, oh, my parents were a big influence. They, they actually were, as people, big influences, not just as parents. And we also had a a, a man who was like a grandfather, never knew my actual grandparents, but he was like a grandfather to me, and he was a Holocaust-surviving Jewish intellectual uh, who escaped from Czechoslovakia and came to Australia, and he was enormously influential in in Australia, in public life, and uh, he would sit around from very early age, uh, when when I was at a very early age, and talk to me about um, ancient history and political thinkers and teach me about Max Weber and Marx and communism and all sorts of things. So these were enormously important figures to me. Um, and my father used to have terrible mottos that would drive me crazy as, as a child, but say things like, life wasn't meant to be easy, or goodness is its own reward, or you'll get your reward in heaven. And he would say it as a joke, uh, but actually they were also quite truthful things that reminded you that even if you tried to be a good and purposeful person that didn't mean that you were going to get any reward for doing so but you should try and do it anyway i think that's key to being a good diplomat uh, uh, having sort of that moral sort of uh, values well it is but also and no expectation that the world uh, was a just place or that it was a fair place or that um, politics and realpolitik didn't have enormous consequences and the lessons of history and so no expectation like I think a lot of our young people do struggle with this expectation that right. that things should be better which you, you want people to have that idealism right. but you want it to be balanced by an ability to deal with injustice which is so deeply hurtful and upsetting when you do have to deal with it. So to to grow up with an expectation of injustice but to still want to seek justice is a good balance, I think. That's great. And in terms of uh, sort of uh, the future diplomats who might be listening to this right now, who aspire to sort of uh, uh, be in your position, um, what in your, uh, all your years as a uh, foreign service diplomat, do you see in your peers that made them a good diplomat in your eyes? The interesting thing about diplomacy is that people do it differently. Right. Uh, there's certainly a skill and a craft to it and years of experience 
and so there, there is trade craft. Okay. So one of the, the things that we notice when people float in political appointees or do other sorts of things, they might miss some of the point of what it is that diplomats do. Yes. So understanding how to really listen to people and, and really the signals about what they're saying, knowing who to speak to who might have different perspectives and why they're valuable, and how to make analysis and predictions around what's critical and to be able to do a, a roadmap and a roadmap in your head about why certain places or relationships count in terms of your national interests and how to prosecute them. There's genuine tradecraft in there. But in terms of who is a good diplomat, uh, some some people would say, you know, that that Michaela lady, she's, she's sort of... Um, um, very vocal, she expresses a lot of her own views, she's very, uh, she's not very conservative the way in which she goes about diplomacy, but but I think that I'm quite a good networker. Right. But I've seen other uh, diplomats who are very, um, uh, can be very reserved, um, but are incredibly good at writing and thinking and crystallising issues. And I think that what you need is a range of skills in any diplomatic service, uh, you need uh, people who are excellent generalists, you need people who are good communicators, but you also need people who've got a lot of historical and specialist understanding and you need all of those people to make a good foreign service. Now, some, some people can be a, a one-person show in terms of having a lot of those skills and that's great, um, but invariably you need a lot of different skills to make a functioning diplomatic service. So you'd say that you, you're still learning? I'm still learning and, and also I learn from my team every day, which is one of the lessons as you, as you go along and one of the things that you try to cultivate is find the people in your team who've got different sorts of skills to you and then and then try and deploy but also remember to listen to that and that is a constant act of discipline and re-evaluation. So having a good team. Um, if you could think back uh, to failures in your life, can you, can you remember a failure in your past that you've sort of uh, transitioned into current success? I can think of so many failures, and I actually think you learn more from your failures than your successes, mm -hmm. uh, because they're so painful right. <laughs> that, you, that you can still wake up years later in the middle of the night remembering your failures and wishing that they would go away and stop haunting your dreams. So I can remember um, uh, going to meet a, a, a very well-known Australian who was a prominent academic in Japan when I was... Uh, 17 and I was trying to get a placement at Sophia University in Japan okay. and I was so nervous uh, he wanted to speak to me in Japanese which I'd been studying for years I was so nervous I could not speak I could not remember the most basic Japanese training um, in order to speak and he was so intimidating um, and I reflect on that and now I reflect on it and I don't think particularly well of him but I found it a hugely traumatising right. experience oh about how you can freeze in, right. in the moment. And I think that that is me reflecting on just how important confidence is to mm. capability. And you, you need those experiences to try and learn from that that 
really uh, how can I just accept that some things won't go your, your way and how do you calm yourself down and prepare yourself for diff difficult encounters now which is a hugely valuable experience now which I use every day because I've got to go in and have lots of incredibly difficult experiences right. with people so that that was a very defining experience for me too and if I see him again I'll, I'll certainly have some very stern stern words for the way in which he conducted himself with a with a young girl really at that stage but um, but anyway it was a good toughening up exercise for me um, and I can still feel myself in that room meeting that wow. that person today um, and then uh, going and doing uh, oratory competitions and things so this is about in fact about the same time shortly after this I, um, I did the school um, oratory prizes, inter-school competitions in, in Australia and I had to stand up in front of thousands of people and give a speech and did it well and realised that I could do that well. So the, the combination of the two things uh, it was all about confidence and how can you, where do you find the, the kernel of confidence that gives you the ability to speak and engage with people notwithstanding the level of authority or position that you might might have so they they're pretty defining and then one experience was when I first became a, 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 a reasonably serious diplomat but took on a very large team and they were all younger than me and I had multiple responsibilities in young children and probably wasn't the nicest manager in the world when I started off and I uh, certainly got some fairly good feedback about how to be a better manager and, and, and leader at that stage, uh, which still remains a quite important, as I say, a failure, right. but also one that I think the, the, the staff told me that I turned up the next day and started to take what they'd said to me and use it straight away and that they noticed the difference. So I went from bad to outstanding in the in feedback over the course of six months, which was lovely. I think that goes back to you listening to uh, and getting that feedback. And again, we go back to being a good diplomat, uh, like the lessons you imparted in, in, in the beginning of this interview. Um, in terms of uh, the education standpoint, are, are you a reader? Are there any books that you would recommend to for people to read? So uh, I am, well, I, I mean, I was more of books when I was young so uh, now I've just read so many newspapers and so much news all day every day I'm dealing with information so much that I rarely get the chance to read many actual books now but I digest a lot of um, books uh, and arguments quickly read huge amounts of articles more than books okay. now but the books that were profoundly important to me is um, Shakespeare as a kid, Anthony and Cleopatra. Really? Mark Anthony gives one of the most famous diplomatic speeches of all time in that book uh, on commenting on the death of Julius Caesar. So how important is charisma and oratory okay. in diplomatic uh, skill um, st and uh, tradecraft? So that, that's always had a profound impact on me. Machiavelli, um, George Orwell. Uh, which I think uh, remains enormously Especially powerful. <laughs> 1984 remains enormously powerful and relevant today. And Charles Dickens on Dickens. Uh, uh, thinking about industrial revolution. I think we're experiencing one now. Right. So just massive social change and institutional change. 
And I think you asked me one of the questions about which book I most give away. Yes. And I have two that I give away a lot, and they're written by a famous historian called Gombrich. I think he's the most read historian in the world. He's written a book for young people. This is younger kids, not teenagers, called um, A Little History of the World. And it's a lovely thing for parents to read their children between the age of about 8 to 12. Okay. So that's what I give to people with kids that age. And then the story of art, which is art and history by him, which is a fantastic book. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, in terms of, uh, this is the time machine question, if you could go back in time and uh, speak to the 20-year-old uh, Michaela, what advice would you give to her uh, that would set you up for today? Well, I think it took me, I, I think I was always pretty, um, as my parents used to call me, pretty bolshy. Uh, I, I had, I was a bit out there. I had um, a, a lot of guts about trying new things and go off to Japan at, you know, 17 years old and, and those sorts of things. But notwithstanding that I did those things and was quite adventurous, I don't think I was really very confident about my intellectual ability or judgment. And I would defer to a lot of other people in the way I think a lot of girls and women do and so it took me quite a long time to back myself right. uh, and my judgment and realize that even though I might not be the smartest person in the room all the time that your judgment has value and that you should contribute your judgment unashamedly right. uh, so I think that that so if I could tell my younger self that with more confidence okay maybe I would have been even more confident, which might be a bad thing, but that's what I would tell myself because I, I used to think that other people were thinking things and then find out that they weren't necessarily. And so then if you didn't contribute your view, your view wouldn't go into the diversity of views that might make a good judgment. It didn't mean your, your judgment or your perspective was the right one, but that it might still make a useful contribution. So that's what I would tell my younger self and that you don't have to be... Uh, somebody gave me very good advice once that you... you that I don't think I was ever a particularly jealous person actually because I was pretty out there. I was always happy to try new things, but to be happy to admire people with greater skills or capabilities than you have in different areas and not to then be fearful that you don't have them so that you're thinking about yourself, but just to love and admire the fact that somebody else has them and to try and engage with that because it's an advantage. That's wonderful wisdom. Uh, just one last question. Asia Society's 30th anniversary is coming up January 2020. Uh, something we'd like to ask, what was your first experience with uh, Hong Kong or Asia and uh, what do you remember about it? So, well, um, my first experience of Hong Kong was actually the picture of my parents getting engaged oh. up at the peak after oh. the Vietnam War. So this picture, which was this beautiful picture that looked like some jungle paradise with this glorious view, like a Chinese watercolour, sat on the mantel in my parents' house and they were both so so young and so gorgeous. So that, that was Hong Kong to me, was this sort of otherworldly watercolour paradise. So that's my first impression of Hong Kong but my first Asia experience was as a 17 year old kid turning up in Western Japan okay, wow. with no Westerners there I mean just no Westerners there and just everything was so fantastically 
foreign and wonderful. It was a transformative experience. I just loved it. And I look at people today, in fact, I was telling a couple of people that I go down to Repulse Bay here and I see some of the mainland tourists coming to Hong Kong that have come in from inland China. They come in on bus tours and they go to Repulse Bay and they run down to Repulse Bay Beach and they're looking at this beach with absolute wonder because they've never seen it. They haven't seen a beach, you know, they haven't seen anything so beautiful as Repulse Bay. And that look of wonder is reminds me of the way I felt when I went to somewhere as exotic and foreign as Western Japan in the 80s for an Aussie girl. So you can recognise that, that just that wonder that you get when you first experience something else, something other, Mm -hmm. which is not to be feared, but to be enjoyed, relished. Wow, that's that's wonderful. Uh, Life wisdom, and I think this is a perfect time to uh, sign off. Thank you for your time. Thank you, thank you. You go, oh, I didn't ask. Did you guys have a question? Sure. As like someone in university or someone interested, like, like as a university student who's interested in going into obviously diplomatic sphere, what like active steps would you recommend taking from like either end of high school or university? So having done recruitment for our foreign service too, and you get a lot of people who are incredibly academically gifted and it's always quite competitive to get into the Foreign Service. They've got a lot of academic skill, they study international relations, but they're, for, for me, when I was doing the recruitment, the thing that you look for is people who've, who've actually gone out and tried to do something that really challenged them in a foreign country. So maybe doing an internship or doing something which exposed them differently because academic study just doesn't, it, it, it cannot demonstrate to an employer an adventurous spirit which is necessary in the diplomatic service. You have to be able to go somewhere completely different and engage with people who are completely different. So you want to see that someone can do that. Uh, yeah, Thanks. that's really Thank you. Thank you, yeah. This is amazing, yeah. Uh, I guess.